Will you please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. And we have some Bibles, the gentlemen do, so they're going to make their way toward the back, and as they do, if you need a Bible, just get their attention, and those Bibles are marked at Ephesians chapter 6, and please uh, keep those Bibles as our gift to you. I want everybody to own a copy of God's Word. You know, our greatest weaknesses are often our strengths that are just taken a bit too far. Our greatest weaknesses are very often our strengths that are just taken a bit too far. And so one who has the quality of being empathetic and can identify with the pain of others and is therefore good at comforting the hurting, that person, if you just take it a bit too far, can take on the problems of others to an extent that it depresses them, perhaps even debilitates them for a time. Less serious, but nevertheless important, a person with a quick wit who can give humorous quips in any situation can sometimes fail to assess the situation that calls for perhaps sober reflection and not lighthearted banter. For me, the ability to articulate and to lead are strengths, but I struggle, like all of us do, with our strengths, with with taking them too far. And so I talk when I should allow others to speak, take charge when I should allow others to lead. This tendency to misuse and abuse good things is seen not only in our gifts, but it's also seen in our roles. We're going to see from God's word that God calls men to lead in the home. But that easily and too often degenerates from leading to dominating. The Bible extols the nurture and tenderness a wife and mother can provide. But some, even many, can exercise it to manipulate to get what they want. And so the proverbial, if mama ain't happy. God commands children to obey and honor their parents. But this can become man-centered when it's focused on pleasing our parents so that we become people-pleasing adults and overly dependent on the approval of others. Our capacity as sinful human beings to distort what is good is absolutely unlimited. And knowing our personal tendencies and having the humility to see how we take our strengths and our roles too far is helpful for all of us in all of our relationships. And so recently our church's leadership team, seven of us, took a personality assessment, which at the end, it analyzes our individual tendencies, identifies potential pitfalls. Six of the seven of us were amazed at how accurate it was. The one who claims otherwise has been told by the other six that his claim to be the exception to the rule, every rule actually says it all, but I'll leave that, and I'll let you all guess. And we all absolutely love each other, and I mean that. But one of the consequences of the distorting tendency is that we're afraid to allow the role to be played for fear that it'll be misused and abused. We've seen it, distorted, and therefore we don't want to see it played at all. Now that's a legitimate, therefore, concern for sure, but hear this, you can't abuse what you don't have. 
You can't abuse leadership unless you first have leadership. You can't abuse power unless you have power. You can't abuse authority unless you have authority. Now, you can usurp any of those things. You can claim to have leadership that is not yours or power or authority, but the truth is there are roles of leadership and authority that are real and they are God-given, and they cannot be ignored even with their potential for distortion and abuse. And today we celebrate not just a title on Father's Day, but a role, and one that has been and is abused, but is nevertheless given by God to be a blessing to all who are touched by it. And so I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 4 begins, fathers. Now, let me just stop there, because the fact that the last chapter In this marvelous letter to a church in a city called Ephesus, this last chapter has commands directly addressed to fathers, means what I say on the outline that's at the back of your program. Take a look at that, if you will. The fact that this last chapter addresses fathers, after having been given five marvelous chapters of instruction and application, the fact that that happens means that, first of all, in that outline, dads are given great responsibility. Great responsibility. Now, why do I say that? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 begins, fathers, and then we're going to see what fathers are commanded to do and not to do. But it's significant that there is this command in this last chapter addressed to fathers if you know something about what the previous chapters have said with regard to fatherhood. Now, just hold your finger in chapter 6 and turn back to chapter 3 and look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, when it says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven, that is literally, I kneel before the Father, from whom every father derives its name. And so these opening chapters of Ephesus have described the Father. (laughs) And then you come to chapter 6, and there are instructions now given to fathers. So dads, God is Father. And He has given an earthly expression of what His leadership and His love look like in the role that He has assigned to us. And that's why I say in your outline, we have been given as dads great responsibility. Chapter 2. Chapter 2 in verse 19 says that God is, yes, father, and he is father, verse 19, of a household, his church. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, his family, of which he is father then. And then going back to chapter 1, we're told that the members of his church are so, that we are in his family, that we are part of his household, because we have been both born and adopted into it. Chapter 2 and verse 5 says that we've been made alive when we were dead, that is, born again. Chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. 
And after all of that, you come to chapter 6, fathers. Dads have been given great responsibility. Now, I'm very thankful for the faithful mothers. We have a number in attendance here who are, who are raising children and are doing so on their own. My own mother raised me when my father died when I was 11. God extended his grace to her and through her to me. But not only through her, but God extended his grace to me through some key men that God brought into my life to fill that void of not having a father in the home. My uncle, my dad's brother, picked me up for church every Sunday. Dick Carrico, Rich's dad, became a dad to me. And of course, dad, my father-in-law, who made it clear to me early in my relationship with Kim that we were to be father and son, not in-laws, certainly not outlaws. And so thankfully, in God's grace, a young man can see by proxy models of manhood in the family of God. And so for you ladies who are in situations where you are raising a child on your own, understand that in the family of God, you can have that grace extended to your child or children as well. And God's grace overrules the effects of sin that result in death or divorce or dereliction of responsibility. While any of these can result in exceptions to God's given rule, his design is clear that he has made fathers to play a key role in the home, and when that's not the case, ill consequences follow. Now, there are all sorts of statistics out there about how homes that don't have a father who is actively engaged in the lives of his children, how things go wrong, but... I just want to remind you just very quickly of the unique role that fathers have been designed by God to play and the very important role. And when that is not done, it indeed has ill consequences. There's much research that's been done. Some of it showing that fathers engage their children in ways that mothers most often do not just because we are made differently. So one book called Gender and Parenthood, Biological and Social Scientific Perspectives, talks about a few ways that men tend to interact with their children that, that mothers do not. One is in the way they just play with their children. That men engage in physical play. It's characterized by excitement and unpredictability. Mothers, according to this research, are more modulated and less arousing in their approach to play. And so from a Saturday morning spent roughhousing with a four-year-old son to a weekday afternoon spent coaching middle school football, fathers typically spend more of their time engaged in vigorous play than do mothers. And then in yet another book, How Fathers Care for the Next Generation, the author says, children who roughhouse with their fathers quickly learn things like kicking and biting and other forms of physical violence are not acceptable. Have you wondered why it is that so many children coming from single-parent, particularly led-by-mother homes, have such violent tendencies. There's, there are a number of reasons for that. And so there's the way men play that's different than the way mothers and women play with their children. Another area in which men are different in the way they interact with kids is the way they encourage risk. And so they encourage their children, men do, to take risks, embrace challenges, and to be independent. Mothers are more likely to focus on their children's safety and emotional well-being. And then protecting, the role that men play in protecting 
his own. Fathers play an important role in protecting their children from the threats that are very real and very ubiquitous in society. And then there are all the statistics about teenage pregnancy and depression and even suicide that attend homes that are not led by actively engaged fathers. And so despite the abuse of the roles, God says fathers have a God-given role to play. And when that role is not played, it has ill consequences. And men, we dads, have then been given a great responsibility. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 begins, fathers. Now when it addresses fathers, it assumes the role of mothers. Author J. Adams says this, when Paul speaks to fathers, he is speaking to the mothers. The reason he addresses the fathers is that what the mothers do, the fathers are responsible for. In addressing the father, he's addressing the one in whom God has vested his authority for discipline. The father is the head of the home. I know that what I just said is not politically correct. But I'm a pastor and not a politician. And that's what God says. The father is the head of the home. And the father is the one who ultimately must answer to God for what happens in the home. And so men, we dads have great responsibility. But thankfully, secondly in your outline, dads are given clear direction. We have great responsibility. But our God does not just dump this responsibility on us. Rather, he gives us direction with regard to what it is we're supposed to do. And so in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, fathers... Do not exasperate your children. We'll see what that means in just a bit. But instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. God gives us direction with regard to what we fathers who have been given this great responsibility are to do. And that verse tells us that dads are to point our children toward the goal. Because when it says, bring them up, that is a command. And it's a command that assumes that the children are in need of being raised. (laughs) I mean, to state what should be the obvious, children don't know what direction to go. Now, I say it should be obvious. But as I observe parents, it is apparently not so obvious. We try to get out of our kids, what do you want to do? What direction do you want to go? And God has commanded us to bring them up, to provide direction for them, because by definition they are immature, but not only just immature, but naturally bent to go their own way. You say, well, that's great if they go their own way. Well, Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have. Gone our own way. You see, our natural tendency to go our own way is not to go God's way. And so we must point our children toward the goal. And the goal, as we'll see at the end, is ultimately to be like Christ, to image Him in His world. We point our children toward the goal. They don't have it because of their immaturity. They don't have it naturally because they are sinners like we are. And dads are to not only point toward the goal, but secondly, to move our children toward the goal. 
So it's to not just talk about this is the goal, but to actively move them toward the goal. So the command in verse 4 of Ephesians 6, bring them up, is in what is called the active voice in Greek, the language in which it was originally written. And so we fathers must actively move our children toward the goal. They are not self-directed. They are not contrary to secular psychology and all who deny what God says in Scripture with regard to his designs for the home and the role of, of fathers. Our children are not just flowers that are just waiting to bloom by themselves. We've got plenty of people who, who think that. You know, I just got to let the, the flower bloom. Well, flowers left to themselves, if they grow at all, are called wildflowers. It explains much about what's going on in our culture today. That rather than actively moving our children toward the goal, we kind of let them go their own direction, let them be so that this flower that's waiting to bloom blossoms. This is a command, bring them up. It's written in the active voice. It requires action on the part of those to whom it's addressed, fathers and by extension mothers. But it's written in what's called the imperative mood. It's an imperative. It is a command. This is not something that we can negotiate. God Almighty says, I am God the Father and I have given you, fathers, primary responsibility for bringing them up. And so pointing them toward the goal and actively moving them toward the goal And thirdly, I command you, says God, to always advance them toward the goal. And I say always because bring them up is not only in the active voice, in the imperative mood, but it's written in what's in the present tense, which in Greek is a continuing action. It means it's an ongoing activity. And therefore, parenting cannot be a part-time job. And fatherhood cannot be a part-time job. And so, as we are given this direction to point our children toward the goal, move them actively toward the goal, consistently and always be engaged in advancing them toward the goal. As we do that, verse 4 tells us as well, then this is how you're to do that. Bring them up, notice verse 4, in the training And the instruction of the Lord, the training of the Lord, the word that's translated training is the word that is also translated in Scripture, discipline. Paideia is the Greek word. It refers to enforced learning or learning with structure or as one author has called it, learning with some teeth in it. Now why is discipline required for a child? Well, children require structure in order to grow. Proverbs tells us this, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Children require structure in order to grow, says God's word, but also because Proverbs tells us foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so children are not born with all this wisdom that we think if we just let them go their own way, things will just work out fine. God's Word says they were born with the same tendencies in nature that you are, and that can be summarized in the word foolishness. And foolishness in Scripture is worse than ignorance. 
Yes, children have ignorance. We all are ignorant of some things, many of us of a lot of things. Children certainly have to learn so that they are less ignorant about more things. But foolishness is worse than ignorance in Scripture because foolishness is failure to appropriate and apply what you know. Wisdom, conversely, is applying what we've been told. Foolishness, the failure to apply what you're taught, is bound up in the heart of a child. And therefore, discipline is required. And why do they require this discipline? Because they're like you and me. They are sinners. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says that we were all by nature children of wrath. Now we see the tendency to imbalance and distortion again in just this phrase. Bring them up in the training, the discipline, and the instruction of the Lord. And so some will distort so that they are all discipline and little instruction. And some will distort to the other side. We are all instruction but little discipline. Overbearing versus the over-explaining and permissive. But you know, when you discipline your child, parents as I am a parent, let me just say to you, it is good for you to explain when you can. It's good for you to explain often. It is also good for you to sometimes tell your child, do what I told you to do because I'm your father, I love you, and I told you to do it. And that's that. Now why? Why? Not just so you can show who's in charge and you're a big man on campus. It's not that. Doesn't God do that with us? Hasn't God called you in your life right now into situations and things and you don't know why? You know ultimately why, why he loves you. You know, ultimately, it's for his glory and for your good. But you don't know the particulars of why this thing right now in this situation, do you? And God says, because I'm your father, and because I love you, you learn to obey me. And it's good for us to teach our children that as well. Now, I only have brief time. And we teach classes on parenting, and we have men's ministry, and this stuff is recorded, so I'm going to go through these quickly. If you're inclined to write them down, you won't be able to because I'm going to go fast. But there are a number of suggestions for disciplining our children that I have found helpful. Set clear boundaries. Avoid the danger of unannounced rules. Don't give too many rules. Don't make rules they're incapable of keeping. Avoid rules about trivial things. Be consistent when you give the rules. Expect immediate obedience both in action and in attitude. Sometimes we are happy that they just took the garbage out. That's what I wanted them to do. Never mind they're slamming doors. Never mind they're rolling their eyes. Never mind they're showing disrespect in every way possible. Immediate obedience and action and attitude and follow through with the consequences for failure to obey in action and attitude. And so the training, the discipline of the Lord, bring them up, fathers, but also in the instruction of the Lord. And the word that's translated instructions, a Greek word, nuthetao, the Greek word for mind is, is nous. 
And this word literally means to put in mind or to place in mind. And so it's to impose on the mind, to confront the mind of someone with some important truth. And so this word, nuthateo, to confront the mind, impose upon the mind truth that they need, is translated variously in different contexts in your New Testament. It's translated to instruct as here, but also to warn. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. That is, those who are refusing to work for a living as Paul had instructed when he had visited the city of Thessalonica. They're refusing to obey that. You, you warn them. But then it's also translated to admonish. Romans chapter 15. You yourselves, Roman Christians, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. And so we warn, but then when there's persistent obedience, we bring to mind, impose upon the mind the fact that you are disobeying God, and we admonish then one another. And so a summary of this word, nuthateo, translated the instruction of the Lord in Ephesians 6, 4, is this, it is loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. We lovingly confront, put to mind, bring to mind, impose upon the mind of one who needs the truth that's being presented. Lovingly confront with the truth for the purpose of change. God said this going back millennia. He said to his people before they were entering the promised land. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So what is it that we are to impose upon the minds of our children, put in our children's minds? These commands that I give you. The, the Word of God. The entirety of the Word of God. Psalm 119 has 176 verses that extol the virtues of the Word of God and its precepts and its commands and its testimonies and its instruction. And we're to bring this to our children's minds. Now, dads, you can't bring it to their minds if you don't know it. And that's why we help you to know it. And we offer you opportunity to learn it. This fall, as each fall, our midweek community institute. We offer classes like how to get the most out of your Bible. So you have a survey of the Bible. So you learn how to fumble through the Bible. So you know its storylines. So you know its major characters. So you know the books and what they're about. We do that because we don't want to just preach on Sunday and say you need to do this without equipping you to do it. But we equip you for that very thing. And it's the Bible that deals with every area of life, friends. Every area of life in either direct precept or in applied principle. And that's why the Word of God can say about itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training, disciplining in righteousness, paideia, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this includes the Bible's content, not just theological truth, but practical instruction for daily living. 
And let me just say as a quick aside, we'll move on, but an important aside. Fathers, parents, you can delegate your responsibility to teach truth to your children. You can delegate that to others. You can delegate that to the school. You can delegate that to the Christian school, the public school, the charter school. You can homeschool. You can delegate aspects of that. Hear this. From God's standpoint, you and I can never abdicate our responsibility to teach our children. You can delegate aspects of that. You cannot abdicate that. And you are responsible for what your children are taught. Whether it is true, whether it is false, and whether they know the difference. And dads are then to play this important role in the lives of our children. Pointing them toward the goal. Moving them toward the goal. Always advancing them toward the goal. And here's what we're not to do according to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. We are not to frustrate our children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now here's what that does not mean. When the Bible commands us fathers not to exasperate our children, it does not mean that we never do things that are at cross purposes with our children, that we never do anything that will displease our children. The fact is, our children, like us, are sinners, and so obedience does not come naturally. Therefore, the requirement to obey will often be met with displeasure, okay? Am, am I right? It doesn't come natural for you. It doesn't come natural for them. So when God says, do not exasperate your children, it doesn't mean don't make them do stuff they don't want to do. They're often going to have to do stuff they don't want to do. What does it mean? To avoid exasperating our children means that we should not be the cause of their exasperation. Rather, if they are angry, it should be their own internal struggle to do what is right that is causing that. Not us and our attitude and our approach and our lack of consistency and lack of model before them. Here's another reason why Ephesians 6.4 is addressed to fathers. I said fathers are given ultimate responsibility by God in his word. And so God addresses fathers who are ultimately responsible for what happens in the home. But here's another reason. It's because we men are made to be tough generally, given our tough role. I mean, going all the way back to the garden, going all the way back to Adam and the first sin. Now, Adam, you were made to work, but now Adam, Adam specifically, here's going to be the consequence now. Your work's going to be all the more difficult. Your toil is going to be all the more difficult. You were made to work, but now your work's going to be really hard. We were made to be then tough generally, given our tough role. And the harder that we have it, the harder we can tend to be on others. And fathers can tend to be too hard on their children. And therefore, we are told not to exasperate. That word exasperate literally means to take the wind out of their sails. Ephesians 6.4 could be translated, fathers, do not take the wind out of the sails of your children. And that's why Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21 translates it this way. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Take the wind out of their sails so that they become discouraged. And there are all kinds of ways that come to mind that we could do that. I don't have time to go through them. 
but calling them names, telling them they'll never measure up, never telling them or rarely telling them how much you love them, how proud you are of them, will embitter our children and take the wind out of their sails. Dad, are you living your life for your children? Are you looking for your children to be life for you? Are you looking to vicariously live your life through them so that they're to become everything that you wanted to be but didn't? How many fathers do this? And so hold up a standard for their children to meet that they cannot and were not made to accomplish. And then take the wind out of their sails and bitter them and discourage them. Dads, we've all failed. We have all failed. In one way or many ways or another. Every last dad here has failed at one time or another. And I'm telling you, if you have failed, if you've been too hard on your children, if you've not known the word of God and done the things that Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says to impose the word of God and its truth upon their minds, if you have not done those things, the good news is this. There is grace for you. There's grace for me. And that's the last point in your outline. You see, we dads are given great responsibility. But thanks be to God, he has given us direction. But also dads are given amazing grace. And oh Lord, we need your grace, don't we? Who is sufficient to this task? Men, (laughs) not you, not me. Only God and only his grace working through us. Now, this command, fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is in that last chapter. You've got the five chapters that precede. And God has told us all about his marvelous, amazing, unbelievable grace extended to us. We've alluded to some of it at the beginning of this message. In chapter 1, that he predestined us to be adopted into his family. And all the way down through verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us about the marvelous salvation that has been given to us and the role that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have all played in bringing salvation to us by God's grace. Then chapter 2 goes on to expand on that grace that's been given to us. We were all by nature objects of wrath, chapter 2 and verse 3. Chapter 2 and verse 1, when you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, verse 5, God in his mercy made us alive while we were spiritually dead. And then verse 6 says, it is by grace you have been saved, chapter 2. And then verse 8, famously, it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. For we are, verse 10, Ephesians 2. God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works. Which he prepared in advance for us to do. And he has made you a part of God's family. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, goes on to now talk about how Jew and Gentile and all who will come to Jesus in faith are part of God's family. And chapter 3 goes on to talk about the cosmic reality of the family of God and how the, the angels look on and they wonder at the fact that God is doing his work and carrying out his plan through this thing called the church. 
And then after telling us all of that, all of the ways that God's grace has been extended to us, then beginning in chapter 4. Now, says Paul, as a prisoner for the Lord then, live in a way that is worthy of the calling that you have received. And part of that calling is fathers. Do not exasperate your children, but rather bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God's grace is there for you. It's extended to you first in salvation. You come to him through believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we say each week, this is how you do that. You realize that you, like your children, are a sinner, that you have gone astray, that you have failed to live the way that God has instructed us to live. Recognize who Jesus is. God the Son has come to die the death you deserved. His death was was sufficient because his life was absolutely perfect. He lived the life that you should have lived, died the death that you deserved. Repent of your sin. Lord, I see my failing. I see my sin. I want to follow you with my life. You ask Jesus to forgive you based upon his blood that was shed on the cross for you. You can do that as we bow our heads in just a moment. And for those of us who have done that, let's thank God for his grace that is extended to us every moment of every day by his spirit, through his word, because of Jesus. And let's ask him to help us, empower us to carry out this vital role, fathers, who do not exasperate but bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that gives us direction. Lord, you give us commands that are too lofty for us on our own, in our sinful nature. But you empower for your people what you command. You've given us direction. You've given us your spirit to empower us to be motivated to do this and then to be able to do this as well. Thank you, Lord. But that only happens in those who are your children, who have been born into your family and adopted into your family. And so we pray that there are those all over this room now who are coming to you because they believe that Jesus is God the Son and that he has come to do for them what they could not do for themselves. That they are crying out in their words from their heart to you, oh Lord, forgive me. Take me, change me. I want to follow you with my life. And Lord, for those of us who have done that, Lord, we we need your grace every hour. Lord, you have called us as dads to do the impossible. But Lord, what is impossible with men is possible with you. We thank you for the faithful men that are represented in this room. But Lord, even those who have shown some modicum of faith, none of us have met the standard. And none of us will this side of heaven. And so we need your grace. We ask you, Lord, to help us to implement the things that you have shown us. Help us to do that beginning this week. And Lord, with your help, we give you the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.